Good morning, I'm John, and this is the Daily Wrestling News Show for October 12th. As discussed back in August, sometimes special things can happen at house shows. Some of those things, like Bret and Owen Hart's Iron Man matches, are never meant to see the light of day in terms of storytelling of the on-air product. But in the rarest of cases, a house show moment is so special that it later winds up as part of a home video release. What legend won his first WWF championship at a house show on this day in 1992? Hey there, if you're listening to this, then chances are you love wrestling. And if you care to continue the conversation with me, John, and other listeners of this show, then I invite you to join the Daily Wrestling News Show Facebook group. Just search for Daily Wrestling News Show or go to facebook.com groups slash wrestling news show and click join. We cannot wait to meet you there. The group is brand new, so if you're one of the first to join, don't be afraid to say hi. Now, on with the show. After Bret Hart lost the Intercontinental Championship to his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, in a very memorable match that headlined SummerSlam in 1992, he didn't seem to have much direction for a bit. He spent the next six weeks wrestling enhancement talent like Glenn Ruth, Barry Hardy, and Bill Jordan, and he also swept a series of four matches from Papa Shango. Then on October 10th, Bret got a shot at the big time. He wrestled Ric Flair for the WWF Championship at the Los Angeles Arena. The two technicians went for nearly 24 minutes before Flair would get disqualified. After the win by DQ, but a win that didn't bring home the championship, Brett got a rematch the next night in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. It would be another DQ win for the Hitman, but Flair remained champion. Then on Monday night, October the 12th, they went at it one more time at a house show in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, an hour's plane ride from Brett's home turf of Calgary. And in fact, Saskatoon was the hometown of Brett's legendary father, Stu Hart. It might have been a house show, but all the parts were in place to make the presentation hard to distinguish from a major event. Howard Finkel did the introductions, Earl Hebner donned the bow tie to handle the referee duties, and Gorilla Monsoon and Lord Alfred Hayes provided commentary. World Champion Flair was accompanied to the ring by his executive consultant, Mr. Perfect. Perfect was dapper as ever, in a black turtleneck and diamond bedazzled black blazer combo. Flair was in his prime, rocking the famous black and white butterfly robe that would later go missing for 25 years. Early in the match, Brett wrenches on a hammerlock and he's chirping in Flair's ear a bit. As pointed out by Gorilla and his lordship, this was not typical for the hitman. Was he just feeling it that night? Or did he know something? Well, of, of course he knew something, but hey, it's still real to me, damn it. So let's move on. After a vertical suplex, Brett goes for his first cover attempt, but Flair is out at two. Brett slings the champ to the corner, backdrop, gut stomp, and Flair rolls out for a breather. Brett controls the next several minutes with a series of holds, tosses, and grinding on the champ without ever relinquishing wrist control. Flair takes the upper hand and sends Brett to the floor. Hitman comes back in with a shoulder to the gut, followed by a sunset flip. But when Brett can't complete the flip into a roll-up, he grabs for some added leverage and comes up with a handful of Flair's trunks, which leads to a full moon in Saskatoon. That gets the champ off balance and completes the roll-up, but Flair escapes it too. Whipped to the corner again, another backdrop sends Flair ass over tea kettle, a couple of clotheslines, and the champ rolls out for another break. But that series by the Hitman wore Flair out so much that he did his signature face flop on the floor. After some consultation with Hennig, Flair regains control with the heelish simplicity of a thumb to the eye, and the champ goes to work. Flair puts it to Brett for several minutes, but when the signature knee drop finds nothing but canvas and wood, 
The table is set. Brett picks the ankle, lifts Flair, and sends him crashing back down on that knee. Hitman controls the left leg and drops a series of elbows to the softened knee to set up Flair for the indignity of his own figure four leg lock. Flair suffers for a while, but eventually saves himself with a rope break. Flair is now limping, but manages a small package and a butterfly suplex that both lead to near falls on Brett. Flair returns the favor of the lift and drop knee to knee and goes for a figure four of his own. Hitman manages to roll it over, but Flair continues the momentum and both men grab for the bottom rope to break the hold. Flair maintains control, but makes the mistake we've seen most often from the Nature Boy. He climbs those damn buckles. Well, it doesn't pay off, as it almost never did for Flair. Hitman tosses Rick halfway across the ring and gets a much-needed moment of respite. Brett is now in control. A series of near falls lead to Flair begging the Hitman to back off, but the excellence of execution turns it up. A second buckle superplex leads to Brett crossing Flair's legs again, but this time he doesn't sit down into the figure four, he steps over into the sharpshooter. The champ has nowhere to go, and even though Mr. Perfect jumps to the apron and tries to distract Hebner, it's only a matter of seconds before Flair verbally submits, and after a hard-fought 26-plus minutes, we have a new WWF champion, Brett the Hitman Hart. As Monsoon describes it, it's pandemonium here in Saskatoon. This was Brett's first time to the top of the mountain in WWF, and he got there by besting an all-time legend and arguably the greatest wrestler of all time. That sounds like a WrestleMania main event if I've ever heard one. So why the hell did it happen at a house show? Earlier this year, Ric Flair explained it on a podcast. Earlier that week, the Ultimate Warrior had sloppily dropped Flair on his head with what was supposed to be a vertical suplex, and as Flair described it, I got that inner ear thing. Flair immediately knew his equilibrium was off, so he rolled out to the floor to gather himself, but fell down. This was bad. He tried to get to his feet and fell down again. Flair thought he might be having a stroke. The truth was, Flair had suffered a chip to one of those tiny bones in the inner ear, and the floating fragment in his ear canal was screwing with his balance. That explains why the match with Brett was so bad, at least in Flair's estimation. The truth was, the match wasn't bad at all, but when you think of Bret Hart and Ric Flair in their primes, you would expect a six-star match for the ages, and it simply wasn't that. But considering Flair took three sky-high backdrops, a toss from the top buckle, and a superplex, if you ask anyone who's ever had a slight degree of vertigo or any inner ear issue messing with their balance, it's astonishing that Flair put on the match that he did. Flair would struggle with this condition and be off TV for six months. In that time, he saw specialists at the Mayo Clinic, Duke University Hospital, but no one could find an answer to help him. It got so frustrating that Flair was close to cashing in a $750,000 Lloyds of London policy and perhaps calling it a career. Then one day, he woke up and it was gone. No rhyme, no reason, just gone. And the career of the Nature Boy would thankfully continue. But even in his delicate state that October, he helped solidify a new champion into the upper echelon of the WWF. While Flair's championship run was a slight departure from the long-standing Land of the Giants history of WWF, he brought an unmatched amount of wrestling history with him, so a run as champion in WWF surprised absolutely no one. Bret Hart's ascension to the pinnacle of the WWF, however, was a true changing of the guard. Hogan had left for Hollywood, 
The monster-in-waiting Sid Vicious had failed a drug test and become otherwise unbearable behind the scenes, leading to a departure from the company, and the Ultimate Warrior was again doing everything possible backstage to torpedo his own career. So the move to make Brett the champ was definitely against the grain for WWF, not only in terms of size and in-ring style, but also in terms of work rate, evident in the fact that, in a world before the internet, most WWF fans found out about Brett's championship victory as he was set to already defend it on the very next edition of Saturday Night's Main Event against Papa Shango. Brett became the first man to win the WWF's top prize at an untelevised event since Hulk Hogan did it in 1984, and it would not happen again until Diesel in 1994. Hart would go on to be a five-time WWF champion, and it all began at a Saskatoon house show on this day in 1992. This has been the Daily Wrestling News Show for October 12th, 2022. We'll see you tomorrow.